chapter 5. We're going to be camping out in verses 13 through 16, Matthew chapter 5. This is our third week in our Salt and Light series. And let me just say this, because I've forgotten to say it the last couple of weeks. Um, This backdrop here was designed uh, by Liz Klingler, who just did a fantastic job. Give it up for her. Also, uh, Kathy Long, Kathy Long, who's new. Yeah, she helped out, so give it up for Kathy. But man, we are just, we're stoked because we have creative people that can help us be creative, you know. And uh, so we're, we're thankful for them to sort of put something together for this series, which is going to last until we get to December. And, uh, and so it's going to be about three months. Um, so Matthew chapter 5, 13 through uh, 16. Uh, we we want to talk a little bit about where we've come back from. Again, we, the first week we went through the first four chapters of Matthew, which was miraculous again that we did that. And we got through it in about 40 minutes. And um, so what that led us into is Jesus coming on the scene, starting his earthly ministry. And the first thing he preached, the first thing that he got into, which we looked in last week, were this thing called the Beatitudes, or I've heard some of you in your community groups like to call Beatitudes. They're actually called Beatitudes. So this is Jesus gathering a crowd that he has called his disciples, people that he has uh, healed in, in their sicknesses, in their afflictions. He's healed epileptics, paralytics. I mean, he's just done this thing where this group of people, he's gathered together because with him has come the kingdom of God. And everywhere Jesus goes, things happen. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's restoration. There's redemption. Things are not the same as they used to be. People are being pulled from darkness into light. That's what happens. That's the effect that Jesus has on the people that he comes in contact with. You guys hearing me with that? So this morning what we're going to look at is Jesus telling us how this kingdom of God, who we're now a part of, should affect the kingdom of the world that we've been brought out of. And the big idea for today, for us, is that we want to be who we are as believers so that others can see whose we are Jesus is, if that's the right way to pronounce that, and become his. So the big idea is to be who we are so that others can see whose we are and become his. That's the big idea. And again, like we said last week, this is not how we live to be saved when we look into this passage. This is how saved people live. It's only the grace of God that saves people. We don't get to earn that, praise God. This is an exclusive act of grace through Christ, having died on the cross to atone for our sins so that we can know him, so that we are just sucked out of the darkness and into the light. And so last week we saw those who see their need for Christ, those who mourn for sin and injustice, those who humble themselves, those who pursue righteousness, those who show mercy to others, those who deny themselves, those who strive to make peace with others and who are persecuted for following Jesus. There's something that happens to everybody that follows Christ and finds themselves in all of those situations that I just laid out. What happens is that everything just described, there will be present blessings. There will be a citizenship in God's eternal kingdom in a new heaven and new earth where all of those things we will find comfort and satisfaction. We will be consumed by joy in the presence of God forever because the present pain and burdens that we experience as followers of Christ, they give way to future blessings. And because of that, it means that today we're blessed. 
Like if you know something good is coming, that becomes the identity of who you are for now. So that's what we have in Christ. Now my dad used to joke with us every year at Christmas and say, look, if you guys just wait till Groundhog's Day, to hear what I'm saying here, if you guys wait till Groundhog's Day to celebrate Christmas, we will buy you twice as many presents because they will be half the price after Christmas. Obviously, he destroyed the image of the big red guy right there in one full uh, one sentence. But, and obviously, there was some serious lapse in his parenting with a, with a comment like that he would give us every year. The point he was making was that there would be something more for us if we endured. If we endured. So what we want to do is we come to the text today. Is we want to go back a little. We want to remember who Jesus was preaching to. Men and women who had repented of their sins and who he had healed of all these diseases and pains and afflictions, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics. And ironically, the people that he'd healed of these physical infirmities, man, these healings were not permanent, okay? Everybody that Jesus healed back then, none of them are alive today on the earth. They would eventually die a physical death. But what Jesus did was he gave those who repented and followed him a taste a taste of the physical life that is to come that we read about in Revelation 21.4 when he said he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So the arrival of Jesus meant the old order of sin that came with Adam was passing away and new life had arrived. So this morning we're going to see then Jesus expanding his vision by giving the people a mission. The kingdom of God is made visible through you and I, who have been saved by Christ. So the kingdom of God is made visible through the people who make up the kingdom. All right, so when we look at this, when we look at the church gathered right now as Substance Church, this is the kingdom of God made visible. It's not a secret society. It's not a speakeasy. It doesn't contain password-protected exclusivity. That's not what this is. This is about a people representing a person who personally rescued us. That's what's going on today. This is about Jesus saying, hey, you know what? This is who you are now. This is like the song we just sang from Ephesians 2.5. You've been made alive together in Christ. Jesus is saying, this is your new outpost This church, this group of people, this is your new position. This is your new calling. And when people see you, they see me. They see me. Jesus never meant to be obscured in your life or in my life. I mean, have you ever known someone for years and then you find out something about them that you kind of feel like you should have known? You know, like you've just been hanging, and all of a sudden, they just kind of pop out with something like, you know, I, you know, I'm a cave diver on the weekends. I don't know if you knew that. You know, you just kind of go, what? Like, how is that possible? I've known you for years now. Why were you withholding all that information about something that is so a part of who you are? So what Jesus is going to be telling his followers is that this should never be the case when it comes to our relationship with him. All right? And what I think many of us forget is that when Jesus Christ saves us, we surrender our life to be used by Him for His purpose. 
And if you don't know Jesus, you should know that. You should know that. And you should also know that it's glorious to be used by Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, hey, by the way, when you follow me, he said, count the cost, brothers and sisters. And then he says this, and this is a crazy line, but it's a crazy true line. He says, anyone who doesn't renounce all he has can't be my disciple. I mean, he just drops that right there. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So before we all shudder at that comment, and we should shudder at that comment, let's look into the text and see what he means when he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Let's read together. Matthew 5, I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. He says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 14, he says, You are the light of the world, but a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's God's word I just read, just so you don't think I'm making things up and I'm trying to give you something that I came up with that's really clever this week. Jesus comes in and he says, you are my followers. You are my sons and daughters. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 13. Now, here's the thing. Not everything is salt. All right? There are other ingredients. He could have used some other ingredients. He didn't. Typically, I don't put salt on my cereal or in my coffee. If you put salt in your coffee, you need to repent for that. We need to have a conversation after the service. Salt is savory. It's not sweet. And it's also a preserver. It keeps things fresh. And back then in the the ancient world, what they would do is they would get salt and they would rub it on meat to preserve it, to keep it fresh. And so what Jesus does is he comes in and he uses this as an analogy to liken our presence as Christians in the world, as followers of Christ, by saying, you are, you are what gives my flavor to the world. He's saying, you are what preserves my witness to the world. Now, for those of you who know my wife, Melissa... I can't look at her when I say this because she's going to shake her head. But she is a major foodie. All right? I mean, I I guess we both are, but she's the one that does the cooking, and she loves to cook, and she's super awesome at it, um, to both the detriment and delight of my belly. But if there's one thing that she complains about, that she's been complaining about for years, is that when it comes to either a dish of her own or other food that she eats, it's always whether it has enough salt I mean, she's literally used this line after we've had a meal. She said, she's literally said, that was criminally undersalted. Like, it's a line from my wife. Now, of course, I grew up in a family where that crime was committed daily. (laughs) Food tended to be lacking a a little salt. Mom, if you're listening, I love you, but I, I can't go back now. I can't go back now. I need salt. 
I've been living with this woman for 20 years, eating her cooking. I need salt. And it's gotten so bad now that I feel like I practically need to carry a salt shaker with me everywhere because I want that flavor. And the reason why I want that flavor is because salt brings that flavor. It enhances the flavor. It equals flavor. And Jesus is telling us that followers of Jesus are the flavor of the world. We are the flavor of Christ to the world. We are the witness of the flavor of Christ to the world. We preserve the commandments and the beauty and the glory and the resurrection and the death of Christ and everything that he sent his son down to do for us. We preserve that. We flavor that to the world. That's who he uses. He uses the people that he's saved. Every November here in Ashland, they do this thing called Taste of Ashland where you experience all the different restaurants, all the different food vendors in Ashland, so that you get a flavor for the culinary delights of our town. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. How do people get a taste for Jesus? Through the people Jesus has saved. See, something was supposed to happen inside of you when Christ saved you. You now have the Spirit of God living in you where there was emptiness before. You have hope where there was hopelessness before. You have love where there was lostness before. This wasn't like cosmetic surgery where the tummy is flatter and the lips are fatter. That's not what we're talking about. This was an intensive and internal transplant of all of your spiritual organs. But then he issues a warning in verse 13. He says, if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be restored? In other words, if salt doesn't taste like salt, what's the usefulness of it anymore? The only thing it's good for, it says, is to be thrown on the ground and trampled on. Kind of like the salt trucks that salt our streets. You don't run out and grab a handful of it to sprinkle on your baked potato. That's not what you do with that salt. The salt doesn't fulfill its usefulness because it's thrown out on the streets to be used for something else. It's not representing what you typically think of salt representing, which is to be a preserving agent and a flavor for food. So salt's not representing what it's representing if it's not flavoring what it's meant to be flavoring. So, for example, if you know Seth Buckwalter, he works for a company that manufactures medical products. And it's his job to manage the accounts of those who use his company's products. He's an ambassador for that company. He's a representative. If he stops doing that, they're going to throw him out to be trampled on by his wife, probably, because he lost his job. (laughs) Seth is like, what are you doing to me right now? I don't know where Seth is. So we are representatives of the reconciliation available through Jesus Christ. That's the charge. Let's turn to, uh, make a right. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5. Through the Gospels, all the way to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. This is Paul speaking to the church, wanting them to understand who it is that they are based on the reconciliation that they've been given. And it says this, 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Like, we're not looking at you the same way that you used to be because you're not that person anymore. And then he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So now our eyes have been opened to see who Jesus really is. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then he says in 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then he says this in 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Then he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are reconciled to Christ through God so that we can be agents and ambassadors of reconciliation to a world that doesn't know God. This is what's interesting and this is what's sobering for us this morning. Jesus is not asking you who you want to to be. He's telling you who you are now that you are his. And that's good because it's a restored image of how he originally designed you. And do you guys realize that in Christ, you're actually becoming more like the you he created you to be? You don't lose what makes you you. You actually regain your original identity that he originally gave us in the garden to our great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve. But without Jesus, that identity is always going to be mucked up and obscured. Let's go back to Matthew 5. 14 and 15, it says this. He moves on. He moves from salt to light, and he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So he moves from salt to light. He says, you are the light of the world. You're not only the flavor of God, but you're also the light, you're the visibility, and you're the illumination of God. One of the things I love about Ohio in the summer is looking out into a field or a meadow at night and seeing all those fireflies blinking on and off. I grew up in an area where those things didn't exist, so every time I see that, I feel like I'm like an, you know, watching a Disney DVD. It's just fantastic to me. So on a dark night, man, you just see these magical bugs blinking on and off. It looks like, you know, Christmas tree lights. But when they don't blink, you don't see them. In fact, for the life of me, I mean, I couldn't describe what the anatomy of a firefly actually looks like. I only know them from their light. Jesus says, in the darkness of the world, I'm paraphrasing, You are the fireflies I've positioned to be my light of my truth, my love, and my grace. And if you obey 
my voice. It means you'll be blinking brightly. Jesus gives the example of a city on a hill where the light emanates from all the windows, from all the crevices. A big, great city that when you go by, when you see it in the distance, you can't miss it. Its glory is there for all to see. If you ever take a road trip in the southwest, you'll go through just these impossibly long stretches where there's nothing but desert until finally a city or town comes into view. And as you get closer, you can can start seeing the shape and the dimensions of the city from from a, a distance. Like someone just dropped it out of the sky because... There's nothing around it. There's nothing around it. It's impossible for you to drive by it and miss it because the landscape surrounding it is barren and desolate. But the city, the city is like an oasis. Jesus compares us to a city set on a hill with high visibility for all to see. And his argument is that light and visibility is for illumination. He says nobody puts a light or a lamp under a basket because it would serve no use. You put a lamp on a table or you hang it from a ceiling so that the light spreads and is distributed as widely as possible so that you can see where you're walking. You can see what you're reading. You can see who you're talking to. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you walk into a dark room? You turn on the light. The problem is that people living in darkness are never looking for a light switch. So God, what God does is he turns on his own lights in us as a way to reveal himself to the world. Jesus is saying, this is how the light you have as followers of Christ needs to be switched on. It needs to shine in the company of others so that they see your good and godly works and are able to attribute them to God and become people like you who give God glory. Now the problem with that is that some of you, some of us, man, we just keep Jesus hidden. We obscure Jesus. We keep him hidden. We treat him like he's a collectible car, right? We keep him washed and waxed. We put a cover over him. We keep him in a climate controlled garage. That's nice. But a car was actually built to be driven. The craftsmanship, the design, the power of the engine, nobody will ever be able to benefit from it if it never makes it out of the garage. Our blessings, the blessings God has given us, are supposed to illuminate the greater brightness of God's salvation. We're not called to be actors where we dress for our roles on Sundays and then we put on our real clothes on Monday. Christianity is not being in character. It's about living out your new character in Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he made this great quote, and he said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Let me read that last part. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Bonhoeffer is just saying what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 5 here. And here are the two implications for us. 
Number one is that Jesus warns us to be his salt and to not lose it. You see the warning there in verse 13? Jesus warns us to be his salt and not to lose it. If my wife, going back to my wife and her cooking, if my wife cooks an amazing meal and it sits on the table for five days uneaten, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to lose its flavor. Eventually, it's going to get moldy. So the question for us is, is your walk with Jesus like a meal that's been sitting too long without being eaten? What does this call into question for us? What does this call into question when we we start thinking of it that way? If God has pulled you from darkness into light, if he's called you to be the flavor of his life, death, and resurrection to a world that is plummeting and plummeted in darkness, are we emanating that light? Are we providing the flavor of Jesus to lost people of which everybody in the room was once? Because ain't none of y'all was born saved. None of us were born saved. Jesus saved us. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to remember what's happened to you. You are not a dead man anymore. You are not a dead woman anymore. God has seasoned you and preserved you with the life of Jesus, who is the true salt that, when tasted, leads to feasting in heaven for eternity. That's what Jesus is talking about. Two, first, Jesus warns us to be a salt and not to lose it. Second, very simply, Jesus charges us to be his light and not hide it. He charges us to be his light and not hide it. We live in a town where, by and large, nobody's offended by God. It's not that way in other places. It's just not. But we live in a town where, by and large, nobody is offended by God. And here's the thing. That's not really the problem. The problem is that people in our town offend God by believing that good living is what makes them good and justifies them. So, although God may not offend them, we know that the gospel will, and the gospel does. What does that call into question for us? Well, whether your good works actually illuminate the good news and good work of Jesus. Good works that give God glory, they actually give us joy. You know, here's the thing as we close. Growing up, I hated messages like this. Oh, I hated messages about mission because that's what we're talking about this morning. I always felt guilty. And if you're like me, you just kind of hate feeling guilty. So I'd force myself to walk out of the church, head hanging low, trying to think of some way I can bum out my week and share Jesus with someone. And the struggle was that, for me, it was an obligation. And anything that's an obligation for us becomes a job. 
But if we love someone or something, it turns everything we do from a job to a joy. We think about Jacob. You guys remember Jacob? One of the old Hebrew patriarchs. One of the lines he gave when he worked for 14 years. It was different back then to get the wife that he wanted. Yeah, fellas, be really glad that you just had to pop the ring out. Jacob said he worked all those years, but it was like a minute because of the love that he had for this woman, Rachel, that he was about to marry. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a job. It was love for her that turned it into a joy. Remember what Jesus said. He said, for the joy set before me, I have endured the cross. Well, how did he have that joy? Well, because when God sent his son down here to atone for us, to live a perfect life for us who couldn't, he didn't do it out of obligation. He didn't say, fine, I'll do it. He did it for love. And so it was a joy that was set before him. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a job. What being salt and light implies is that those who grow in their love for Christ will simultaneously grow in their love for community. The opposite of that is bitterness and darkness. The opposite of salt and light is bitterness and darkness. Our work doesn't earn us light. It simply reflects Jesus, the true light, whose good works on this earth lead those in darkness to the light of the Lamb for eternity. That's what happens. Second Corinthians says this, for we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, this is Paul talking, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is just affirming what Jesus said in his sermon. And it's a magnificent charge for us. It's a magnificent charge. Our good works, they reflect something. They don't reflect us. Our good works don't reflect us. They reflect the good work of Jesus in us. We spread the light that he spread to us. But without mission, we lose our meaning in this world. We lose our meaning without mission. What about all these people Jesus is speaking to in this sermon? All these people he's healed. All these disciples he's called. What were they supposed to do after all of this? Do you ever think about that? What did he call them to do? Just to go back to their houses and revel in the glory days of that time they were healed by Jesus and just hang on till the end? I don't think Jesus was calling them to do that. What was he calling them to? Well, he was just calling them to be on mission in the place that Jesus had saved them. Jesus went to them. They came to him. Wherever it happened, wherever that healing happened, Jesus was saying, go out into all the world. Go out into your world. Be that light. Be that salt. 
Because if a blind person, for instance, if a blind person sees again, but never describes the world that he sees, how do you know if they see? How do you know? How do we know that? And if this kind of language scares you, because it scares me, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. And if this absolutely stirs nothing in you, if this charge from Jesus stirs nothing in you, pray for Jesus. Pray for him. The speaker that was with us at the men's retreat says something really simple but really profound in regards to talking about our steps through mission. And he simply said this. He said, baby steps are big steps. So again, this missional charge, this magnificent charge from Jesus is not that we all pack our bags and head to a country where the gospel hasn't been preached yet. For some of us, that's your call. And God is going to reveal that to you, and at some point, you're going to pack them their bags, and you're going to get out there. But for most of us, that missional charge is just to get out of the house and start talking to our neighbors. It's just to be in our workplaces and start talking to our coworkers, to hit Dunkin' Donuts, get to know the person that hands you that delicious cup of coffee. That's what we're talking about. That's the missional charge of Jesus. And so in our community groups, that's going to be an outward focus for us. That's something that we're going to be concentrating on as we launch into the fall. We want that to be our emphasis. We want to be that salt. We want to be that light. Why? Because we love Jesus. We love Christ. And we love the church. We love his people that he loves. And all of that leads us to loving our community. How can we not love our community with the love that we've been given in Christ? So we want to pray for boldness. We want to pray for obedience. Because what we do is we read things like that, like we do a lot in the Bible, and we think it's optional. These are the optional plans of God. They're just not optional. They're just not optional. And all of you are in a place of which you can be on mission. All of you are on mission. And all of you, including myself, we need to start seeing every avenue of our lives as being a mission field. That's the call. And we do it because our love for Christ compels us to do it. What happens is we get to Matthew 28, and we do that Great Commission thing, right? And everybody's like, go make disciples, baptizing nations. And it just, it, it starts feeling obligatory. And what we oftentimes miss is that what that comes from, what that's being developed from inside us is a love for Christ, a love for Jesus. And that's what makes the charge magnificent. And when we're obeying that, it's what gives us joy. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that we could know him, so that we could live with him, so that we could experience the freedom and the rest and the light that he has given us because we are not in darkness anymore. Church, pray for this. Pray for this. Pray that God would change your heart. Pray that God would, would pull you out of your chair. Pray that God would pull you out of your house. 
Pray that God would push you into this neighborhood. Man, this is a small neighborhood, man. Five minutes, one end of the city to the other. Right? Some people, some people don't have that kind of luxury. It's all right there. I mean, if you stand on a high enough building, you can probably see the whole thing. I mean, that's awesome. That gives us some tangibility when we think about the missional charge of Jesus in A-Town. He has brought us from darkness into light. We are the salt of the earth. Let's be the flavor of Christ to this dark and dying community that we live in. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us this very, very intentional and very difficult charge. And you're not giving it to us as something that we need to feel burdened by because it's a hard task and it's a miserable job. But Lord, we pray that you would help focus our minds and our hearts in remembrance of the fact that you gave us this particular charge because of the love that you have for us that is supposed to emanate from us like lights to our community. Lord, help us because we're scared. Because we're scared to go out our front door and to meet our neighbors. We're scared to form relationships because there's danger in that for us. Because we might be persecuted. We might be reviled. We might lose friendships. And so, Lord, I ask for all of us that we would be more intent on pleasing God than pleasing man. And that this charge that you've given us to be who we are, this is the identity that you have given everybody that you've saved. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Lord, let us live that out. Lord, compel us towards these things. Start moving in us slowly. Give us eyes and ears. Let us have a great, great awareness of what's around us and the places that you've put us in so that we start having broken hearts for people that we see still living in darkness. And let us find rest knowing that you've just called us to be that light. You've just called us to be that salt. You have to do the work of the heart. And that gives us great joy to know that because we can't bear that burden. You bore that burden. So Lord, thank you for that. Humble our hearts. Lord, give us a great, great love for you, for this church, and for our community. We pray, all God's people said, amen. Love you guys. This is a hard message. Hard words produce soft hearts. So we always want our words to be hard at substance because we want the substance of our life to be that which produces health and growth Enjoy in the Lord. Amen? All right, I'm going to invite Jeff up. He's going to lead us through the Lord's Supper this morning.